Hi everyone. Welcome to this special, I guess. It could be called this a special episode. Yeah, it's it's a special episode of uh, We Might Be Tables. This is the first time we have a guest with us on the podcast and he's a very good friend of ours, a uh, friend of Devansh and mine. Uh I'm not going <laughs> to introduce him to you. You he can do that himself. So, take it away, Luca. What do you have to say? Hi everyone. My name is Luca. and i'm from italy i don't know uh, i met shrish and devansh uh, some years ago i don't know <laughs> wait yeah uh, it's okay it's okay yeah that's a, i mean that's a great introduction so we met a couple of years ago in italy it's been about 3 4 years now uh, we met in 2017 and i think one thing that we really connected over was a love of cinema so Today we're going to be talking about exactly that. It's a film by Neil Blomkamp. It's called District Nine. I'm guessing a lot of you would have seen it already. It's quite popular. And I don't know why. Why did we pick this film? Like, what what do you all think is interesting about it? Okay, the first thing I want to say is that I'm really glad I'm the first guest of your podcast. And then I want to say that I love this movie. I've already seen it twice and I can say without any hesitation that for me it's probably one of the best sci-fi best sci-fi movies of the millennium so far obviously and that because in probably in the last few years we saw in cinemas mostly sci-fi movies that are made for entertainment and and i think that's okay i i love entertaining movies uh, i don't want to discriminate uh, this genre but exactly no especially not when talking about a film like district man no discrimination yeah yeah <laughs> but i think and, and i don't know if you agree with me that to be a, a real sci-fi a movie should deal also with some philosophical or ethical or social themes and district 9 has this fundamental component it, it has a, a really powerful and strong social idea behind it and and it's used in a in a really clever way by by blonkamp also uh blonkamp didn't forget the entertainment because then the movie has also a lot of action and it's also quite splattered that there's a lot of blood and that kind of stuff yeah that's always entertaining no? yeah yeah and i mean i've got to agree it's it's definitely one of the most interesting sci-fi films i've seen as well um there's obviously so much to talk about and i think what was one of the most exciting things for me watching this film was <clears throat> you know how the how the power dynamic would play out um between you know aliens and aliens and, and another species uh, and human beings and their i don't know bloodlust almost and their desire to control all the time all of that to to see it play out um it was quite refreshing because um um a lot of other movies that deal with different species and 
about aliens. A lot of them are just usually about alien invasions and about, you know, the human triumph over over them and whatnot. Uh, but this was a, I feel like a, a fresher, at least for me, look into a more realistic interaction between humans and a different species if it were to happen or, or as some people would like to say, when it will happen. Uh, because some, I mean, there's a possibility it will. Um, but yeah, for me, it was definitely something that I had never thought about. And it's, yeah, it's it's definitely given me so much to think about and talk about. Uh, but what do you, like, what about you, Shreesh? You, what do you think about the the, you know, the genre which has a lot of like aliens and extraterrestrial stuff as compared to District 9. Yeah, I mean, when you think of a science fiction film, I completely agree with Luca also, by the way. I feel like most, if not all, good science fiction has some underlying theme behind it, right? And take anything. It doesn't have to be film. It could be, it could be even literature. Take something like Frankenstein or take something like... Uh, in cinema, take something like Blade Runner. All of these films... Or all of these pieces of media have some underlying message behind them. And what sets District 9 apart is the fact that it, uh, like Lucas said, very cleverly um, subverts many tropes. It's not your typical uh, go-in-guns-blazing, Independence Day type of uh, science fiction film where it's always aliens versus humans in this all-out space battle, Star Wars type of stuff. No, that's not it. It's very grounded in material reality and the way people live, uh, not just not just in a quote-unquote fictional science fictional universe, but in this world, in our socially constructed material world. So to answer your question, I think that's what I found quite interesting about this one particularly. And although uh, uh, I wouldn't, obviously every film has its flaws. I think this one also has its flaws. But what really goes well for District 9 is that it plays to its strengths. Even though it has its flaws, it doesn't spend a lot of time on those flaws. I think it spends more time on what it does well, and it does those things really well. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I found that it did really well, and the both of you can probably shine more light on it, is the CGI, which I thought was just beyond incredible um and while i was watching the film itself i didn't know when it was released um and i thought it I, and i thought it was like you know fairly recent in its um release because the technology uh and and just the graphics seemed so so great and it was just um so well created that i didn't really think that it was a movie that was released in 2009 um, but when you told me, Shreesh, that uh, Blomkamp has, um, you know, a, a background in um, graphics, it, you know, began to make a lot of sense, to me at least. Yeah, these aliens are, for me, quite amazing. Also because, uh, as you said, the movie uh, is made in 2009 and also because I think it's a low-budget movie, so these aliens and all the 
CGI in general, it's really amazing. Yeah, and the fact about the low budget is what makes it all the more uh it just hits you in the face, right? For a 2009 film and I think they did some really really clever um they made some really clever decisions at the right times. Like the film is made in a very documentary kind of style, you know. And okay, hold on. Actually, before we get into that, I think it'd be best to describe what the film is exactly about. It's it, the premise is that there's this massive alien uh, i guess mothership which uh lands on earth not on earth it sort of hovers above the earth but yeah it comes down to earth and a bunch of humans find uh aliens inside the ship and contrary to popular science fiction they're not this hyper advanced race of uh aliens where they're just you know trying to take over the world and whatnot they're actually malnourished and they have to be brought down and given care and shelter so that's the premise and the story follows their lives after 20 years on earth and how they live in conditions of poverty and squalor and how they deal with human law and human morality and being treated as um treated as vermin almost so coming back to what i was saying about the low budget filmmaking for example you could see that the film was made in a very documentary style the, the camera was handheld it was very shaky so when you have CGI that's made in 2009 it's obviously not going to be technically very sophisticated so to cover for that having like a documentary style of filmmaking having a shaky camera makes it so that you have more motion blur so when you create more motion blur you can be a little more lenient with the type of or with the with the weight of the graphics on screen so decisions like that and also the decision to make the aliens look like insects so you don't have to animate skin or fur or things like that which are a lot harder to animate because you have more textures but the aliens here just look like insects with exoskeletons on them so things like that is what i think those things really caught my eye and makes uh, and make the cgi in this film you know separate from most of the films that come out and in fact even much larger budget films with really bad cgi <laughs> which which is a great leap forward i think and the fact that it's set in south africa obviously which we spoke about a little bit of of podcast yeah and the funny thing is that at the at the beginning of the movie um when there's this fake documentary uh someone is quite surprised because uh for the first time the alien ship stopped on Johannesburg oh, yeah. and not uh, in the UN- in the United States. Yeah, I um, remember that. That was quite funny. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, actually most of his films are set in South Africa, right? I was just talking to Devansh about this the other time. Uh except Elysium, um both Chappie and District Nine are set in South Africa, I think. Yeah, I was like the the style of the film was interesting to me. Like a bit of that I also saw at the beginning of Chappie. another one of blomkamp's films uh but i want i wanted to know more about like this kind of documentary style because it wasn't like like full documentary right like um there were bits and pieces that just felt like like fly on the wall cinema like you were just watching something as not you know as do like you know uh like you weren't part of that scene uh but it was like a bit of mix and match about like a, a mix and match of both of those um 
so that that was really interesting to me and like if the both of you have anything more to say about that style because uh i i read that it was uh, this documentary style was called cinema verite and i don't really know a lot of cinema theory and i don't really know about a lot of a lot about that kind of style um the only kind of documentary style work that i'm familiar with um off the top of my head are shows like the office and parks and rec uh, which are really famous but um seeing that translate into a sci-fi movie was and and you know like i said and and it not being like a full documentary style film was also kind of intriguing for me yeah i find it interesting that you you said you used the term fly on the wall now in cinema theory um fly on the wall is actually a technique that documentary filmmakers use it's a term that you often hear in discussions about documentary film so i think it fits that you actually use that term for this film because it often does feel like a fly on the wall and i think they employed also the documentary style because uh they wanted to make it seem a little more grounded in reality if you have this omniscient camera that's looking over the events um and it's so perfectly edited and cut and it doesn't seem like uh it doesn't seem messy so to speak then i guess it would create a little more distance between the film and the viewers so that's why you get a feeling that it's made like a fly in the that you wait <laughs> that was, that sentence was horrible that's why you feel like you're a fly on the wall while watching this film and the other term that you used was cinema verite in fact cinema verite is also uh a term that you often hear in discussions about documentary filmmaking and in fact i was just doing a course this past semester in university where we talked about documentary cinema and styles of filmmaking and, th- and things like that and cinema verite was it was all the rage in like the 1950s 60s right so you would have an improvisational setup like even though it's a documentary often filmmakers stage things um so you'd set up appointments with people for interviews you would actually go to places scout them out and then see how you can film but cinema verite is a lot more bare bones it's very raw uh so you would combine like completely improvisational camera movements and uh impromptu decisions with um good storytelling to try and the 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 whole philosophy behind cinema verite is actually the truth or to uncover the truth so verite in french or vérité is truth so cinema verite would be cinema of the truth so the idea is to discover the truth so the fact that district 9 is being described as a film like that is interesting especially for a science fiction film yeah um i also think that especially the 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 first minutes of the of the movie where there's this um, yeah this fake documentary we can say and it's interesting because it seems real it seems something that we see on on the television and we can also um, we can also see what people from south africa thinks about that uh, yeah but you're right say. though because it does seem like a documentary right and there are also seemingly interview bits where they seem to interview people and what you said connects to the end again because in the end if you remember they they mentioned something like 
um, this person was never seen again or, you know, typical lines that you would see in a film that's actually a documentary. Like, this is what happened these many years after. Yeah, and I think also in, in like, beyond just being grounded and, like, the reality of it, it also added this sort of, like, temporal element to the film where the audience and the person watching it had to do a bit of footwork to try and figure out uh, the sequence of events and um, before before any of the actual thrill of the movie started and before the plot actually started to unfold, there were a couple of those interview scenes where uh, some of the characters that would be involved or in fact weren't involved uh, throughout the rest of the film said, um, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we didn't really see this coming. We didn't expect this from Vickers, who was the uh, main character, the protagonist and things like that. And you, you begin to like, start working it out for yourself because you know that something big is coming because you know the people working around and working with Vickers didn't see it coming so so that element of like what's going to happen in the future but you're currently listening to people in the present is like was also like a a great way to sort of have the viewer unfold or at least try and work out things that are bound to happen um, throughout the film. Yeah, and the promotional material for the film was also very similar, right? So in, when they released the trailer and stuff and when they announced the film, essentially, they actually put out posters saying um, no humans allowed and things like that in a lot of public places. So the promotional campaign for the film was very, I guess, it ran parallel to the theme of the film. And they set up this fake... I was reading somewhere that they set up this fake phone line or something where people had to call it to report any illegal alien activity or something. And they received hundreds of calls. Like, people claimed to have seen aliens even though it was just promotional material for the film. Yeah, and then um, I think this documentary style also... um, also, it's something we can find in his previous uh, short movie because uh, the story about District 9 is quite funny. Um, Peter Jackson uh, produced, it, produced it and uh, because he discovered uh, Neil Blomkamp uh, while he was filming uh, King Kong. And That's he saw ironic. some That's of... Ironic. Yeah, <laughs> and he saw some of um, some of his short movies, and I read that I read that at first uh, Peter Jackson chose him to to direct uh, an ab- an adaptation of uh, Halo, the the video game, and but then it didn't work out. So finally, um, Jackson produced Dis- District Nine after he saw. Uh, it's short movie that is called uh, Alive in Johannesburg. Uh, that is basically the homemade version of the first five minutes of District 9. And also this, this short movie uh, is is a documentary. It, yeah. Uh, and also uh, another funny thing is that they used some props and items from Alo's uh, set. And oh, really? Like nothing. what? Like the guns? Let me guess. It was the guns, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably guns and I don't know some. Uh, 
They're like a bunch of other stuff, probably. Yeah, we know that. We know that the the movie is all a metaphor of the apartheid and racism and migrants, immigration, and all that kind of stuff. But it's really interesting because uh, Blancamp in these interviews at the beginning of the movie. Uh, doesn't even save the the real victims of apartheid. So mm, in this yeah documentary we saw at the beginning, um, they interview also black people, and and they show they show some hatred towards these aliens too. Um, so Blancamp prob- probably want to wanted to tell us that. Mm, racism unites all against this new species new species against all the all the people that people or in this case aliens but in general everything that is different from us and yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah we saw also um, one of the the first people that interviews uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, she says that more and more money is being spent on them, and I think that also doing that creates tension between uh, between the the two species, and also this leads to to racism. And she says also. But at least uh, mm, this spending more and more money on that, uh, it's useful to to keep them contained. Yeah, at least they're yeah, and it's that quite so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and it's something we 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 hear almost every day about uh, refugees. I mean, it's quite the same. Uh, it's quite the same because. We are people that always says they are not from this planet. This planet, uh, in this case, but they are not from this country. They are not from from this planet uh, in the movie, and so it's not our problem. And it's something that is is always there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also a great sort of segue into uh, what I wanted to talk about related to this which is that yeah like you said the film is obviously about all kinds of segregation whether it's race uh, in the case of india it could be caste you know all those kinds of things and it's clearly an, ag- an allegory for the apartheid in south africa in fact the film itself is set i think in the early 1980s if i'm not wrong so i really like this word right it's speciesism so i think blobkamp is using the apartheid and racism and xenophobia as a lens to look at uh, an issue that's prevalent not just in the film world obviously but also in our world which is a division between species where humans automatically consider ourselves to be superior to any species that isn't us and inadvertently i guess this film might also could also be seen as an environmental film right because where taking over this planet in a way that is unprecedented and where 
exerting our influence in a way that almost harms every other species that lives in it. And yet we think of ourselves as superior in every way. Yeah, and we, we think of uh, quite a lot of other species as as invasive um, without recognizing um, our own invasiveness. Um, and, and that's actually something I hadn't thought of until you just brought it up, which is a commentary, like just a commentary on existing like interspecies relationships um, and how we tend to, I don't know, occupy the center stage and think of ourselves as being greater than any other. Um, and that's and that and you see that sort of also playing out in in the movie very clearly, which of course is the the central focus, uh, the the xenoph uh, the xenophobia, um, and just the the active sort of hate towards any creature that uh, isn't us is a is a menace almost. Uh, and even even then you can see that the, the way they portray the aliens itself as being sort of mindless uh, i think one of the interviewers um sitting in one of their offices said that as well about how they have they seem to have no motivation of any sort um and you see them just aimlessly moving around at least it seems aimless um so all of that was pretty interesting for me uh, yeah, but dude, that's why of the course it was the, interesting for me. Yeah, that's why the film is also it, that's why the film itself is very clever, right? Because the interv- the people being interviewed and I guess the documentary part of the film show us that the aliens are mindless. But in actuality, we see people like Christ- people, I guess, yeah, people or aliens like Christopher Johnson and uh, their friend and the aliens are actually intelligent beings. So it's only from the perspective of the humans in the film that the aliens are shown to be mindless, which is a very clever tri- thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's like that adds like that layer of um, that commentary that uh, clearly doesn't go unnoticed because it's so it's so well woven into to the narrative of having a, another species be an active presence in the lives of the humans around them. Yeah, about that. I have a, a question for you that is more of a provocation than a question, actually. Because while I was watching the movie, I kept wondering uh, if this is really the same thing. I mean, these aliens are violent, aggressive, they eat garbage. So if they hadn't segregated them, would they have been able to integrate with humans or not for you? Hmm. I so I think of that uh, the answer to that question in two ways. I guess in one way we could say that, well, no, they wouldn't have been able to because cognitively and fundamentally they function differently than humans, right? But the other side to that uh, coin is that they weren't given an option otherwise, right? So maybe if maybe rather than thinking of whether they would have been able to integrate based on evidence from their time in the slums, instead of that, we should think of would they have been able to integrate if they had been given favorable living conditions right from the start, 
because when they opened the ship, the aliens were clearly malnourished. So they brought them down and immediately sent them to like a closed off, segregated area. So I just wonder if if they had been given good or favorable conditions right from the beginning, then I guess, yeah, they might have been able to integrate because they show signs that they eat human food uh, or at least cat food, that they like cat food and they eat meat like humans do. Uh, so I suppose, yeah, if they had been given favorable conditions, they might have been. And I think also for me, what was what was like pretty obvious is that the humans didn't even try to make an effort um, because one question that was like constantly going, or at least a thought that was going over in my head throughout the movie was, you know, the aspect of communication, um, and how the two species were communicating because at the beginning of the film, it seemed like there wasn't effective or at least one species didn't understand the other. At least I thought so, but, um, towards the middle and towards the end of the film, it became pretty obvious that there were signs of understanding between uh, that humans could understand them and they could understand us. Um, but more importantly, that we could understand them. And that kind of made me wonder also why we, why there wasn't sort of an active effort to try and understand them and their, I don't know, almost well-being. Why we didn't put in the effort to try and understand them. And it was pretty clear also from the beginning that they were sort of persons in in the understanding of like our previous episodes on personhood. It was clear that they they qualified in in sort of multiple ways to be to be persons. And having said that, and having you know, and having that being an obvious thing, an obvious uh, characteristic uh, of them, it was strange to me that we didn't even try to understand their drives, their needs, their desires and their own well-being. Yeah, because, I mean, they they probably, when they came on Earth, uh, they probably didn't want to, they didn't plan to stay on Earth uh, permanently. They probably wanted to, to go back to, to their planet and we, we don't know what happened to, to their planet or why they came on Earth. But people in, in Johannesburg in South Africa just put them in this reception camp, we can say, this, this yeah, militarized reception camp and, and doing nothing. They just, they just put them there and, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah well they put them there and let them be like they weren't even like they once said they weren't given a choice they didn't even try yeah but also i do remember reading one other thing right which is that um and i'm saying this in the context of us not trying to understand them doesn't that how isn't that how bigotry operates uh fundamentally though because once we've established in our minds that this other group of people is different from us um no example no contradictory example can change our minds like that's why the apartheid was started that's why segregation happened that's why all of these kinds of practices happen in the first place because it's not grounded in any kind of natural reality but rather it's it's founded in a warped understanding of one race being superior than the other 
and in fact district 9 the name district 9 was inspired by like a real life district 6 which existed actually during the apartheid and i think the number of aliens were about a million or something like that but in district 6 about 60000 um uh black africans were living and they were forcibly evicted during the apartheid to go elsewhere yeah and like real quick i think also more than just being um i think it was also like the active sort of exploitation of them um in in the movie it was obvious that it was for their technology and even at the beginning one of the people said that uh, the interviewees um said that they even though they are mindless they can take orders um and so that element of you know actively not trying to understand them like you pointed out shish like you know being a crucial element of bigotry um and then also having sort of a need for them of of making use of them um because um uh you know it the this one line from the movie that hit me so hard was uh, a smile costs a lot cheaper than a bullet because that oh, that yeah. really is yeah. the case isn't it yeah and i like what you said about um the aliens being mindless but they can take orders now the film also establishes that uh i don't remember exactly when or who says it but somebody does say that the aliens that have landed on earth were just the the workers of of the race they were not they knew how to take orders because they were the working population of the of the species they weren't so called queen bees like these were the worker bees right and yet the aliens are certainly more technologically advanced than us because they are capable of space travel whereas humans aren't um so despite being a technologically advanced race we consider them to be morally inferior and it's only the worker bees who are morally or cognitively equivalent to us so i just want to imagine what the i guess the elite or the queen queen bee kind of uh aliens would be you know in terms of cognitive ability in terms of moral ability all of that yeah but i think that also blomkamp show us that show us they their humanity because through the story of vaikus um we discover the 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 humanity in in this alien race and and at the same time we we also see the lack of humanity in in the people of earth and that's really interesting also the 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 character himself of of uh, of vicus uh, become more and more human inside uh, while he becomes less yeah. biological biologically human yeah that was cool yeah that that actually added sort of like a like a great great amount of layers to the character i think uh because you would and even though i must accept and i must confess that it was a bit frustrating for me to have bikers treat you know the aliens the way that he did it makes sense right because 
in front of the camera he wanted to be all nice and goody goody to try and follow all the protocols but clearly he had hate for them in his own in his own heart as well uh, he was willing to treat them badly shout at them you know shout profanities at them use derogatory terms which which was interesting which they also brought up which is the 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 prawns is sort of like a derogatory way of uh, addressing them uh, which is also like a, a a very subtle way of talking about the ways you know bigotry manifests itself and xenophobia manifests itself um but vicus himself was so was you know had this hatred and you know as you pointed out and i didn't notice this at first uh but not at first i didn't notice it until you said it but his humanity being a lot more I say humanity even though his humanity was still hating another uh, yeah, species. Yeah, it's a very but... anthropocentric term, isn't it, Devanch? You like that <laughs> yeah, term, yeah, Devanch, we... don't you? <laughs> I... Wow, you're really, you're not going to let me you're not going to let let let's go, huh? But uh how how he begins to 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 develop empathy as he's turning into the other um which which also, you know, raises questions about addressing uh hatred that we festered like inside of us so the way they built that character the character of vicus was to me one of the most i don't know um well molded and well developed characters in in films that i've seen so far yeah it's almost a coming of age story in a certain way and yeah because as you said at the beginning of the movie is really mean with these aliens uh we also see that um at one in one point uh, he he burns the the eggs the the aliens eggs and um, and and he says that the noise is similar to the to the one of popcorns oh yeah that was that was fucked up <laughs> to say the least i feel like you know until the last second until the last part of the film he's he's still using the aliens for his own ends like even though he becomes more humane overtly as in he starts treating people uh, with less violence that's only because he wants to get his own way it's not because he has developed some kind of compassion or some kind of empathy towards the aliens but rather because he wants to turn back human yeah that's true he <laughs> you said he be- he became less violent towards the end towards people and i realized that that's that's when he starts shooting everyone bullyingly um oh but... my god yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. ouch maybe i shouldn't but have said that it was <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have but no it's it's still true like he like at least violence towards the species that he was turning into uh but i think more broadly what like vicus's actions and also um i forget the name of the organization what was the name of the organization that he worked for mnu mnu yeah yeah, yeah multinational I, i don't united. remember the full form um though. i think it was i think it was multinational united right luca yeah i i only know that it's mnu i don't know the okay let's go let's okay. go with multinational <laughs> united yeah thank you if if it doesn't exist we'll we'll create one um but yeah just just their actions kind of made me also wonder how we would react in if we ever make 
contact with another with an alien species um because this reality of having to not have of of exploiting another species uh, an, an extraterrestrial species is definitely scary i don't i don't want to be part of i don't want to be called human if that's how i mean we already treat other species in probably the most horrible ways imaginable but to, but to think that this might actually be the way we might respond in in the future if we ever make contact with another species um you know that that doesn't exist on our planet actually scares me and and like do you actually think that i mean it's a movie we imagined it it's it's definitely a possibility but do you think that our response would be far off like would be and of course a lot of it depends on the kind of species we interact with the kind of aliens that we make contact with but like i don't know does this sort of instill a fear in you of how we'd respond it does but at the same time i know that this is how we are so it's almost like a double bind where i'm concerned for our future but i also know that from past experience of genocides and wars and what not that i would be overly optimistic to think that we would respond in any other way yeah because also there's always this interest in like in the movie in weapons and in doing experiments on them so i think that if someday if someday will happen something similar it could be not so different yeah and you mentioned mnu also right they want so i i feel like they are in many ways um metaphoric or not metaphorical they're allegorical to the mnc's of today like any capitalist organization and particularly the privatization of armies and what political theory or um political philosophy or any of that kind of stuff has shown us consistently is that the privatization of any kind of defense force is not it's not good or it's not f- desirable but i guess this film highlights that aspect of that world also which is when you outsource the military or outsource um so called protection services to a company that's hell bent on making profits then you're bound to run into some problems right so i guess it's also a critique of of that um ideology with that said though um i feel like i also want to talk a little bit about what this film is because it started out as something for me but then it branched off into something else entirely so so it's it's very dualistic in that uh, in that sense so I, and we also spoke about this a little bit off off the podcast uh, devansh and i and you brought up some interesting points so do you want to tell us a little bit about that about the the representation of people of color and about the uh i guess yeah that or um anything else that you found i mean yeah for me for uh, for one at least like about since we've since i mentioned people of color and the the way the the film played out was kind of interesting because the movie began 
um with predominantly white characters talking about um what is bound to happen then you've got predominantly white um characters who are in the lead roles and then you've got uh, the the depiction of the only black community beyond the interviews at the beginning is an, the the Nigerian community who coincides with the aliens in the uh, where they stay and then they have you know shamanistic rituals and um rituals that have to do with consuming alien flesh to take their power and just the representation of that uh of of like black people and people from Nigeria in just that scene alone and not just that scene alone but throughout the movie made me uh you know wince uh and made me like kind of question also the 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 commentary on like social segregation within the film of how you portray a certain community because i was really excited when it began in johannesburg because it wasn't just you know like luca mentioned it wasn't just another uh alien attack in in, in the us uh but then how they um went on to portray the only other predominantly black community in the film was a bit unsettling for me and i think you mentioned this shreesh which is this is also sort of a critique that a lot of other people had and that there's another way of perhaps interpreting the role that um this representation had so tell tell me a little bit more about that a lot of people do have that critique right the the fact that the only nigerian or the only other black community in the film is the nigerian community and they are portrayed as somebody who as a community that has shamanistic rituals and what not and it's not really in a very favorable light so to speak but there are also counters to that critique and one of them being that well this is a way for the film to comment in a more meta manner on its own uh on on the people in the film xenophobia and things like that and that's not a critique that i personally buy into but there was another one that i found very very interesting which is actually a piece in the guardian which i just read recently actually uh it's a piece in the guardian by a nigerian author and it's titled why district 9 isn't racist against against nigerians and they go they go on to outline how it's not just the nigerians in the film that are portrayed in such a manner it's actually everybody everybody in the film is off the hook and and they don't know what they're doing they know what they're doing but they're all crazy right so it's not just nigerians who are portrayed in an unfavorable light but it's also all the white people because if we don't consider the cannibalism not even cannibalism actually interspecies dietary practices in the nigerian community we can see that mnu themselves were performing horrific scientific experiments on the aliens right and mnu was predominantly white so that was one point that was raised which i found quite intriguing and also the fact that the film is about xenophobia and discrimination and not i guess more broadly not generalizing any stereotypes to a larger population so the critique was that well if you are portraying a certain community in this way the audience must be smart enough not to not to generalize that for the entire country 
right? And obviously you could say that, well, that depends on how many good representations there are in Hollywood um, or in cinema in general. But it's just something to think about. Yeah. I don't think that Blancamp uh, mm, took uh, a specific sides about this thing. But as I was saying before, he didn't save black people. They discriminate uh, these aliens uh, as white people. It's it's the same. It's, there's not a difference between them. Yeah, it's a lot more about the humans discriminating against uh, the aliens rather than um, race politics. But I but I also do think race politics come into this. So so yeah, it's it's yeah, like but... like you said, yeah. Yeah, but like even even with in response to like the Guardian article, right? Like I I understand that everybody is batshit crazy in the film, um, <laughs> but there's also certain tropes that we were familiar with, right? Of um, while the experiments that M and U did were uh, quote unquote for intellectual discoveries yeah, true, and true, for true. scientific whatnot uh, growth, while the rest was. Um, more ritualistic and more, uh, I don't know, wild belief base that is often also associated with uh, what is Western or what in the West is called the East, that we're more spiritual and more, I don't know, belief based and not science based. And, and about the commentary about like generalizations to communities, I think that's, that's the function of stereotypes, isn't it? That's like in the definition of the word stereotype, which is when you begin to pick out certain elements to highlight uh, about a certain community, those that's what stereotypes serve as, as explanations or at least characteristics that define a community as a whole. Um, so the critique that the audience would be smart enough to not generalize that to the rest of like the people of Nigeria, I feel like falls short of like how people view people of color right now in the world. Um, so yeah, I don't, and yeah, even though I feel yeah. like, yeah, like there's, there's probably like, uh, the element of an added commentary within the film, I feel like they could have gone the extra mile to make it more clear to the viewer themselves, uh, and not leave like, you know, room for doubt. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. It's, I, I don't fully subscribe to, uh, most of the counter critiques to the critique, but, uh, because they are valid at the end of the day. And the fact that a Nigerian author themselves has written a piece for The Guardian calling District 9 not racist tells us that these it's not a very simple issue in, in any sense of the term. There will be opposition and counter-opposition to no end. So it's about nuance and it's about how much representation or how much good representation, how much bad representation there is in cinema or in media as a whole rather than singling out one or two instances of good or bad representation and calling them um, calling them the, I guess, the, the benchmark. Also, one more thing I just remembered. Why is the alien called Christopher Johnson? Isn't that such a bizarre name for an alien? Yeah, true. It's, it's almost a, a human name. I didn't think about that but yeah it's interesting 
like he is it seems at least the only one that has a name uh, and maybe it can represent is like that is superior is like the mind uh, i don't know but yeah probably it was yeah yeah probably just uh, a name that mnu gave them yeah because i think only christopher johnson and the other alien that 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 would skill i think paul or something the, th- those were the only two aliens that were named so it might represent some kind of yeah uh superiority i guess or or even the fact that mnu saw them as more worthy than than the others um but speaking on similar lines though the fact that mnu chose to go that far and actually give them names and stuff i think a similar question that we can raise is about human rights so these were aliens living in living on earth and they were obviously living in what what most closely resembled a slum um very poor conditions but there was or there can be talk of quote unquote human rights like the rights that we hold most inalienable to humans and it's almost as if i see a loophole in the moral values that we hold right because we call them human sorry, rights sorry. yeah just a second I for a second there I almost missed acknowledging that Panayos inalienable I feel like oh, I needed to Oh my I didn't even realize and appreciate oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude I didn't even realize that I said that Thanks good catch good catch Uh shit <laughs> Uh but what I was saying was yeah um there seems to be a loophole almost in in the way we call our rights right so we say human rights but should they realistically be rights for all sentient beings or all moral patients to go back to what we read earlier on the podcast about um you know personhood and what not because could there ever be a world where we realistically give equal rights to aliens when we're ending up calling them human rights in the first place isn't that super anthropocentric yeah yeah like that's that's actually like a that's a great point about like human rights and rights that i don't know are ascribed to to human beings as as you so beautifully said that are inalienable to us um I, i feel like there are two things to say about that one i do think that based on like our previous conversations all the rights that we ascribe to ourselves can more generally be ascribed to persons and to people and not just humans um because a lot of the light uh, <laughs> a lot of the rights that we consider to be our birthright uh and that we deserve just by virtue of being human beings i think uh are also are also rights that we can ascribe to um uh, different species that already exist and the second point very related to that i think is also a lot of people say that we can't ascribe every single right that human beings have to other species because of because a lot of the aspirations that we have goals and our own sense of purpose you know is is very unique to our species almost and yeah but hold on sorry way... before you go on before you go on it's also a matter of convenience right do we use other species for a lot of our ends like more immediate ends and if we went yeah. around describing rice to them it would be in an inconvenience to us 
yeah that's actually that's actually true um yeah <laughs> the this reminds me of um, a phrase that i saw on bon apple tea uh, reddit on subreddit uh which is it's a doggy dog world but, but the real phrase is it's a dog eat dog world um where we we see ourselves as thriving at the expense of somebody else and even though we see that sort of dynamic between human beings it's more easily spotable between species and our sort of exploitation of them but what i was saying about earlier about the point about aspirations and in the context of the aliens i think was in district 9 was also would ascribing our rights to them the rights that we ascribe ourselves do justice enough because then we'd be ascribing our own aspirations and our own goals that we deem suitable as human beings onto them when they could have so much more um in in what they think it is to live and to live in a in a fair manner um that's what i think is also something important to consider in terms of ascribing rights because we could ascribe human rights to them but that could those rights could just as well be restrictive and almost um i don't know it could almost put them in a cage if we don't really know what living means to them yeah it's it also connected to my question the question that i asked you before uh because okay if they didn't segregate them maybe mm, they could have integrated in our society but the question is is it right that they have to adapt and live in our in our society that's actually a terrific point i hadn't thought of it that way now that you put it that way i'm getting to thinking because combine that with what they once just said and the question becomes well we're giving them a cultural treatment that's so centered on the way we live but we don't really know if it's right for them to live that way and what their culture is so that's a great point and i hadn't really thought of that before like for example eating raw meat or eating cat food maybe they have something similar in their world but we see that as quote unquote degenerative behavior right so it's just yeah it's just crazy it's very complex yeah and and that what like going a step ahead in 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 terms of trying to understand another species would mean to to see what it would be like to live and the meaning of life from their perspective and not just from our own um which yeah and <laughs> like your example of cat food is like perfect imagine if cat food to them is like just nutrition to us what if it's just their right we can't like i don't know force it upon them that you know what you can have just one candy or something like that i don't know um or you just can't eat meat because it's cruel it might just be something that they can't live without or it's just a right they consider uh, an integral part of their living yeah exactly so i mean the fact that we're having this conversation and the fact that it's so difficult or unfathomable for us to even think of how to deal with another with another sentient species um is just very telling because we haven't had that experience before and district 9 pulls that off really well because you have an up close and personal look at individual aliens and individual cultures rather than just this mass 
body where every alien is literally the same and they serve one single purpose it's 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 individuals with their own needs their own desires their own uh, reptilian motives or whatever you know things like that and all of that just ties into the whole broader theme of the film which is how how to or how not to engage with an us versus them ideology um with that said though i have one thing that i wanted to say it's it's almost like a closing thought about the film um and it's something that i didn't find very agreeable because despite its uh socially aware or socially philosophical narrative there's one trope that i just couldn't get out of my mind which was at the end of the day it is vikas himself who is sort of the savior the hero and in cinema and in media in general especially those written by historically privileged classes and uh, sections of society there has been a trope called say the white savior complex or the you know the the oppressor savior complex insert insert oppressive country here right uh so if you equate the white savior complex in general media with a quote unquote human savior complex in this film would that be applicable do you think oh and i'm asking that specifically because that narrative or that trope uh in media has generally been used as a not so much as a justification but as a defense of colonization which is that well without this person the oppressed peoples would be worse off and hence they have to be the ones to save the day rather than the oppressed peoples taking agency of their own situation yeah in the context of the question it's funny that you ask it because it's very clear that um in 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 district 9 vikas is the reason vikas is vikas is like the guy who fucks up and clearly vikas fucked up a lot because it's clear the aliens could have escaped on their own like they had the technology they had been building it for like and working towards it for 20 years but this wicked dude uh seemingly very selfish uh comes along and fucks everything up for his own good and then has to like rework and try to like go back into the saving the day kind of kind of deal um after after screwing shit over um which again i feel like is sort of like a great like i don't know allegory to to the way actual saver complexes work where you come in fuck shit up and then pretend to be savior of the day uh but i mean yeah i guess that's that's pretty much all i have to, i have to say about that yeah it's kind of his fault if they they couldn't escape from the earth or go away from the earth so yeah but i i think it's it's just something that we we always find in our narrative i don't know how to say it but there's always the hero that helps and yeah yeah true yeah especially if you consider what you said earlier about it it being a sort of coming of age story right um and vikas does attempt at least to come of age so if he's the one starting the whole conflict then it yeah i guess it does make sense that you know he's the one to try and resolve it because i think that the movie is is more about us than about the aliens so i think it's right that 
is the protagonist is the one that um, that will try will, will find a solution uh, for the aliens yeah and you were saying that you wanted to tell us a little bit about district 10 or the sequel you want to talk a little bit about that so go for it okay. yeah yeah before before we yeah sorry sorry before we jump into that can i have 2 minutes because i did that thing again where i had too much water and now i got to pee um ha so yeah Ha-ha. in the spirit of vikas i have fucked myself over and now i will go fix it by peeing uh Ooh, just give yeah. me 2 minutes in the in the meantime i i wanted also to say that the the previous the previous thing that that i said about is it right that they have to adapt to our society and to our culture and i think it's something that doesn't just apply to to aliens but it's something that also um is pretty common when uh, when we hear about immigrants and yeah refugees yeah there's always yeah. this this thing that i mean they have to adapt to our culture to our society but is it right or not yeah because we look at everything in a very ethnocentric or we look at everything in a way that suits our own culture right we don't really consider the other side of the coin and that's also something that the film wants us to do wants us to consider so yeah true very true yeah the movie okay, i think it's the the themes of the movie are pretty clear but i i think it works a lot mm, in an unconscious way oh yeah yeah so rather than focusing i mean it is like you said in the beginning right it's also an action film it's also entertaining but the real i guess the real message lies when you're not really looking when you're not i guess when you're not being so much attention it just hits you subconsciously yeah yeah uh we were talking about before we were talking about the this sequel that they announced uh, some months ago called district 10 and i don't know the movie for me tells everything he had to say even if there's this open ending uh, i think it's complete and there's no need for a sequel but if uh, if blonkamp will be able to to keep this strong social component uh, i think it could be potentially interesting mm, because uh, i think the the big question uh, at the end uh, is uh, um, what will they do these aliens uh, once they get back on our planet will they start a war will they destroy us or uh, will they be mm, more human than us and respectful than us i think that if he can reflect on these thematics it, it could be interesting also the the sequel of district 9 i think i have to agree with you luca that i don't think there is much else to be said um i like the way it ended with um you know wilkes in now alien form um 
creating that little like flower out of metal and leaving it at his wife's door um i think that was uh, that was really, uh, <laughs> that was that was a really nice sort of end to the film butchered um, the sentence didn't you absolutely i mean it's, it's it's not a it's not a we might be tables podcast without a bit of that yeah. <laughs> without a couple um, of yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but i guess if i were if i if i did see a sequel of this film so yeah like a couple of things that i'd want to see uh would be one what you mentioned luca like the social element of it the the social commentary on um on race and about xenophobia and all of that that this first movie had um and and this might not be like the most i don't know famous opinion a most favorable one but for me the acting didn't really cut it like i i really liked some aspects of it but the others felt really flat like in comparison to to chappy that we saw another blancam film of course there was like a higher budget for that i'm sure because there were like a list actors in that uh but even even then i feel like i would love to see a lot lot more of that like like better acting and of course the the social <clears throat> wow the social commentary that i already mentioned yeah i don't know i found i found the performances quite quite good especially especially charlto copley like he's always brilliant in, in all three of them um but yeah one thing that i would be interested in seeing in in a sequel is whether blomkamp is going to focus on vikas's story and if he does focus on vikas's story then i'm interested to see where vikas's loyalties will lie because he used to be human but now he's turned into an alien of course and presumably he's going to be living like that for the next however many years uh so i'm just curious to see what he would do or what his trajectory will be after that is he going to still want to become human again or is he going to be okay being alien and what is he going to do if if there is a war i think that would be an interesting story to follow yeah and i think also um that reminds me it would also be interesting to see how you know the the discovery of truth i think we discussed this as like a, a style of documentary at the beginning of the episode of everything that emmanuel did wrong um so like the discovery of that and what everybody who knew uh vilkus what they whether they eventually find out everything that transpired um uh, so yeah i guess that would also be like a really interesting uh, thing to see yeah i mean imagine the cgi in in 2021 or 2022 whatever it's going to be crazy in 2009 he did this and i think it's going to be like probably some of the best we've seen but in the next one could be worse i mean if they exaggerate oh, with God. cgi imagine these uh, these aliens with too much cgi yeah i hope it doesn't become like some shit like the avengers that's just it's so yeah no <laughs> want cgi or something like something like that live action so called live action lion king which was so bad uh and i don't want something like that yeah so i hope he retains the charm of the first one but yeah that's that's about all i had to say for for today for district 9 actually any closing thoughts boys um n- none that are about district 9 itself like it was a, it was a great film and all but um 
I really like this episode because we got to like have a really close friend of ours on the episode and it was uh, something that we've been looking forward to for a really long time uh, and I'm glad we finally got to do it uh, after all, all this planning so yeah thanks for thanks for actually taking the time out Luca it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun Yeah thank you and as I said before I'm really glad I'm the first guest of your podcast Yeah I mean to be fair though we're in dire shortage of friends <laughs> I'm joking. But uh damage. Yeah. Jeez, this was supposed to be a secret. You weren't supposed to tell anyone. What the hell? Now the whole world knows. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> no, really though. Yeah, thanks man. Thanks so much for coming on. Um it's been great. Uh and I hope we can do more of these like collaborative episodes in the future. I think it's it's good. It's fun. So, yeah, to all of you listening, thank you for listening. Uh this has been We Might Be Tables. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.